Knockout Ginger, episode 43, The Return of Mark Godfrey. Bass player, composer, band leader, teacher, physics expert. Uh, thanks for... Thanks for listening again. Stay safe out there. F all the haters. And I've been... Like, I'm getting super lazy. Like, I don't... I don't do much anymore. Wait, like, again, in general or with the podcast? With the... Oh, both, yeah. But with editing, it's like... I just drag in the Zoom audio that Zoom records. Sounds like the Blair Witch Project. But... Perfect. It is what it is. Um, are you do, What are you doing for Christmas? Staying here. Staying here. Uh, because Maddie works at the hospital... Um, we're just like, this is the safest thing for our family, which is going to be different. Um, both of our families are in London. So it's like, usually the expectation is like to do all of it. And I mean, usually we can, but at the end of like four or five days, we're just like zonked and you come back to Toronto and she can only get a certain like five days off from the hospital once kind of thing. Um, so yeah, we're just going to be here. It's going to be interesting. My first Toronto Christmas. Um, Yeah. I don't know. You're your folks. I've never had one. You'll be there. Yeah. 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 Um, Um, It's getting, it's getting ridiculous everywhere. Just like nowhere to hide anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And that house is split level. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but like everything's just out of control like the condo people a couple weeks ago sent out an email 24-7 no noise policy because COVID like just oh so you can't practice because there's people always home you can't practice because you're going to get people sick oh well obviously I mean that was always a possibility (laughs) Um, yeah, I have been, I've been lucky here. Um, the people upstairs were pretty cool with it. The people downstairs have seemed cool with it. I mean, for a long time, there was another bass player living in the house, so it wasn't, or in one of the other units, so it was, like, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, whenever there's, like, a week where, like, I'm playing a lot of bass, I'm always, oh, maybe this is gonna, it's gonna become a bad scene. (laughs) But I've been lucky, so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I can play in the basement all night. So that's good. Are you folks retired? No. Well, my mom is. My dad's not. Right. And he's working from home? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this would be a whole different scene if Maddie was working here. Right. Like, like we're in a one-bedroom. So it's like... And, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know much about... Uh, <laughs> I don't know much about the internet, um, but there's no way that 
we would both with the internet setup that we have there's no way we would both be able to be online like she'll be she's a couple times she's been home for the day and like clicked open on an instagram you know story and my lesson just like crashes (laughs) nice yeah so that's kind of how my dad just got internet put in today wait you're gonna have to run that by me again my or my dad just got new internet put into installed today. well because because until september my folks did not have high-speed internet they had dial-up yeah so pretty much us too so like the uh we had the highest whatever the highest bell could get us in our neighborhood which was essentially the equivalent of dial-up right well because you know how it works right you the entire neighborhood has to agree to that high-speed connection yeah which is crazy so finally kojiko became available right and you guys are in the city uh yeah like comparatively like my folks the nearest house to my parents place is like 500 500 kilometers 500 meters away you guys are in like you know you have a neighbor yeah 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 um my dad a couple weeks ago was like preparing for this meeting he had like this presentation and he prepared for like three days and then he just couldn't connect <laughs> no. no um yeah that sounds awful yeah i mean hilarious uh, but i was i was on the phone with a buddy and he was saying how i mean this is slightly similar but um he was in a conversation with a CEO of his company and the CEO was listening on speakerphone uh, but hadn't muted themselves in the Zoom meeting. So his boss, who was leaving the company, heard the entire conversation and it wasn't necessarily the best things to have been said. And it's just amazing to be how like, I mean, I get how it happens. You just you forget to click a button or whatever and then boom you lose your job uh it's just amazing to me that like how much technology is just destroying destroying lives yeah your poor dad that's that's really it's really unfortunate i mean it doesn't matter but like well that's the other thing it's like it's not even you know it doesn't matter did he do the presentation did it get done nope so that's it. It was like a one-day conference thing, and he oh. just he missed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. poor guy. Uh, whatever. Oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, it would be really hard if Maddie was home all the time. Um, I just try to get like any practicing done. I mean, I try to get it done earlier in the day, anyways, just so that it's not late at night and doing it. But. Um, yeah kudos to people who are like living in a one-bedroom apartment with their partner right now have you been are you practicing more or less do you think right now i'm practicing less um last we spoke i was practicing more um but before the lockdown uh i played a session and had the worst blisters i've ever had in my life like even before i started playing the bass and basically what happened was like the callus, like the calluses hadn't hadn't come off, 
but like blisters formed under the calluses. So it was extremely painful. So like I fell off a, a really good practice regime then. Um, and then had some work done on my base right before the shutdown. Uh, and then I started working on a Christmas album to give my mom for Christmas because I'm not going home. Uh, so I've been like trying to learn how to use logic with a purpose mm-hmm. now. Um, so like I'm kind of, I'm doing music ish things, but it just hasn't been playing the bass. But the problem with the bass now is that like the work I had done on it was like to increase the string length a little bit. And now the notes are all in the wrong place. <laughs> so like the right I can't place. play in tune. Well, yes, but, uh, I was going to ask you what you changed your string length to. Uh, I think it's just over 41 now. Like I got it as far as it could. Like it was under, it was under 40 when I first got the bass. It was like 39 and something. Um, so it's like, it's either right at 41 or just a bit higher. Um, and I did it to lower the tension on the instrument when, I mean, I'm maybe we even talked about this on the last podcast, but when he made this bass, it was a prototype for another bass that he did. Um, and just some of the measurements were off. Um, so, my hope is that I can use, you know, medium gauge strings instead of just wikes of everything now. Um, but wait, that's the opposite though. If the string length is shorter, the tension's higher. That's not true. It's true on this base. <laughs> Why wouldn't that be true? Longer string length has more tension. That's how physics works. That's why when you play a short-scale electric bass, the strings are so floppy. Yeah, but that's got to do with where the bridge is. Right? The bridge is still set up right for that instrument. The bridge for this instrument is... Like, this isn't a short-scale bass. He designed it to be a regular-scale bass. He just... the Where the F-holes are cut on the instrument are too high. So where the strongest part of the bass is, is higher than it should be. So like the string length, but like the, if you measure like scroll to the end of the body, it's probably the same as yours. He just mucked up and like the angle of the neck is also, so last shop I had it in, they were saying the angle of the neck is off. Like it's the angle of the neck is seated too far back, which is also why the action or the, the, the tension is higher. Um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong and I'm making it harder to play, but I'm pretty sure it's gone the opposite way. That's interesting. Me. Very Beca- interesting. Like, because like, longer... it, like it was 39 and a half, like when I got it. Right. And it's just like, and, you know, like spiral cores were unplayable. Huh. Because I figure, like, and maybe I'm wrong, but like from bridge... Like, we're talking string length from nut to bridge, right? I, well. But generally speaking, if you extend the length of a string, it's higher tension. Hmm. That's why, like, when you play an electric bass, the low B strings are wonky if they're not a longer scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess I understand that if you didn't totally move everything, 
and you just move the bridge closer to the tailpiece, the angle would increase the tension. Yeah. So one of the first things we did with bass was put a saddle on it to extend, to decrease the angle that the strings cross over the bridge. Giving it less tension. Yes, yes. Um, So yeah, so then moving it further south would make it, uh, south, I mean, closer to the tailpiece would increase that angle. But, hmm, I don't know. I mean, maybe I've been working backwards on this the whole time, but as far as... As far as I can tell, every single time we moved it, the tension went down. But I could be wrong. I mean, I don't know. That seems like a really... Maybe maybe it's more that, like... Because, like, the bass is huge, right? This bass is, like, a big yeah. bass. Um, so it could be the neck angle. Like, if the neck was then... If the neck was seated further forward, that would also decrease that angle from the bridge to the nut. So that, maybe that has a bigger effect on it. I don't know. I should, I should ask the guys at the shop. I have no idea. Because that was, because when I, like, the other thing we did was we increased the length of my tailpiece. So there was a shorter tailpiece on for a long time. um, And we got a new one that was longer. Uh, I don't know how that would affect things. Longer tailpiece means shorter string length. Well, no. Longer tailpiece won't affect, like, depends on what we're talking about with string length. If we're talking nut to bridge, a longer tailpiece won't affect that. But still, though, the longer... So I guess there's a difference between string length and... And length of string. Yeah. So yeah, playable, yeah. playable string length stays the same, but you're still extending the string length if you move the bridge. So getting a longer tailpiece longer tailpiece shortens the string length maybe man maybe i'm gonna do a talk based dive on this afterwards and just see like if i've been working on it backwards but yeah because i remember at one point i said to them i'm like yeah i just find the tension's really like oh the tension's high we'll just move the bridge closer to the tailpiece i'm like wait that was an option i've been coming to you guys for like four years and i keep telling you the string tension is high like oh yeah if we do that it'll it'll what if you move the (laughs) i know yeah 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 Yeah, because i i i'm remembering the conversation i had with them about the angle but like well so there's also another element of if you don't have the so bridge in relation to sound post Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah relieves tension somehow but I don't mm-hmm. know the exact mechanics behind it, so maybe that's how they, maybe that's what they're thinking. I mean, I know part of the thing with that bass is like the sound is often, to me, sounded choked, and because the like the the chamber, like the f holes are too high on the instrument, so like there's a big part of the bottom bout that is just not getting filled with sound, um, the same way that uh, like a bass with the right measurements would be. Um, so, I mean, I have no idea. This whole, this whole thing has flipped everything that I understood upside down. That's so strange. I don't know. Maybe I'll send them an email. Do they use email? You know who the shop is. 
Heino. Oh, I, I thought this was a No Names podcast. I said talk based, and I'm like, oh no, copyrighted. No, it's it's a no it's a no schools. Oh, no, no schools. schools. I mean, Heinel's is kind of a school. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Man, I was all ready for a nice Christmas by myself, and now I'm gonna be sitting here thinking, wait, did I? Nah, you know, I mean, I guarantee you, the string length on this bass has changed the tension on it. Well, because I like mean, I, I couldn't even play olives before, like the olive G was way too tight, and now it's like, it's like passable. It's passable. It feels like a bass now. That's so know. strange. That's so strange. Like I, obvious. Like they know what they're doing. They obviously know what they're doing. Yeah. You know what's amazing? You're. Th- I've been saying for years that moving my bridge close to the tailpiece has lowered my tension. And you're the first person to be like, oh, excuse me, professor. Uh, (laughs) Oh, this is great. This is an area ripe with misinformation and pseudoscience. In my honest opinion, you won't know how changing the after length will affect the tension of the bass unless you experiment with it. (laughs) Great. You can take all that science and put it in a bottle and throw it in the ocean. <laughs> Is that who, who said that? Um, Ken Smith. <laughs> Sweet, right? Isn't that amazing? Uh, Anonymous0726 on TalkBase says, just get your hands in shape. Problem solved. <laughs> This is great. This is great. Ah, okay. This thread still bugs me. So here are the results of my actual physical experiments concerning raising the rear of the tailpiece. On my newer... Pl- uh, the tailpiece was raised, releasing some tension from the top. Dude, you've sent us down a rabbit hole here. Hey, you know what? It's a Christmas cast. That's what you get. <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Or maybe I'll just email David Gage. Because <laughs> I feel like I feel like Zach is the first person who told me to try that. Which Zach? I can't remember his last name. The dude who used to work there and now works just has his own. Zach Lane. Zach Lane. Man, ask him. Hey, can we talk about Larry Gales? So there's a new Monk record that came out. Um, and a student gave me, as a Christmas gift, the LP, which is, like, really cool. He's like, oh, yeah, I figured you didn't have this because it's an unreleased Monk concert called, uh, recorded at a high school. Uh, the album's Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cool. Like, the LP has... Uh, so it's got, like a reprint of the high school program which is like I don't know it's, it's got a whole bunch of ads in it like really like ads from the late 60s um, it's really cool it's a nice little write up in there but um, it's kind of like so it's 1967 and Larry Gales is like takes two of the longest space solo I've ever heard Larry Gales take one of them with the bow and one of them pits and it's like 
it's awesome. Is it? It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Is I mean, the recording quality is like a little meh, um, but I don't really know a lot of like. I haven't listened to a lot of late live Monk. I don't think. Um, and the band in this case is like really playing, hmm. and it's it's cool. It's really really cool. And like at the end of the concert. Um, it kind of goes off the rails a little bit, but not, um, not in a, oh no, we've made a mistake, but like in a, all right, we're going for some shit kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, it's 67. So like all the other movements that are happening in music, it's like, it's like pretty cool. Um, but yeah, Larry Gales, Larry Gales. Uh, I, I kind of want to do some more diving into that. Um, so really, yeah, really cool. Uh, well-architectured solos. Um, nice. I'll have to check it yeah, out again. Ben Riley is playing some really cool stuff too. Yeah, it's I remember like, checking it out like the day it came out, and I was pretty uh, annoyed with the recording quality. Yeah, so <laughs> that's obviously the. You know, I mean, I think that's why a lot of those, like, why we see some of those late like those records released now because it's like oh yeah no one who is alive really cares you know or sorry no one is alive who would care about that kind of thing so like we're just going to put it out because we're a record label and fuck you um but from the content it's like you know yeah that was really really cool i should get Um, back to it Um, i don't know i don't know if it's like a monumental recording but i know for me that's um and maybe this is really green of me and very naive, but uh, yeah, I definitely didn't have an appreciation for um, for Larry Gale's pre this. I'm not, not that like one recording can change anything, but like, yeah, I was very very into it. Yeah, um, I'm not crazy into Larry Gale's. Um, uh, I had a lesson like back in the day when, when I was when I had my lessons with Kieran, I told him some, I, I mentioned some guys that I was into. Uh, let me think back. So I told, I told Kieran that I was really into Eric Revis. And Kieran was like, whatever, man, you should listen to these. And, and like the next week, and he like tracked me down in the hallway and gave me some CDs. He's like, you need to, you need to listen to these. And he gave me Lee Konitz at the half note and Monk at the it club. And, uh, that was when I, so Jimmy Garrison is on live at the half note. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I went like tumbled down the Jimmy Garrison road with a jetpack on and I just yeah. like ignored Larry Gales. So I should probably, I mean, well, the eight club I, record is great. That's but. the thing though. I mean, I like same, I feel like he is one of those bass players that for whatever reason I've ignored. Um, and I mean, I don't know. There's, there's a lot to check out. There's a lot of different, experiences people have with different records whatever um 
but the thing thing with monk is like i'm i was never well with the exception of the trio stuff um is it with pettiford is that the one i'm thinking like Thelonious monk trio um i don't know i also don't even listen to that much monk Yes, yeah, I mean, for me, listening to Monk was never really about listening to the bass player. When I really got into it, it was like, okay, there's there's something, something else about this music, um, that is is over, like really compelling, um, and so, like even the Monk tenor players was not something that I was like, oh yeah, you know, hmm. g- give me that. But like it's, it's like you know the rhythmic content that Monk's playing and like. Um, uh, his compositions and whatnot. That was the stuff that I always found really, really um, compelling about it. Not to say that the other stuff wasn't good or whatever. It's just, it just wasn't what I was into at the time. Um, and so the bass players kind of fell into that same thing. Um, and so listening to this this recording of, of the band live, I don't know, maybe my ears have changed or whatever, but I was just like very kind of like drawn in um, but also they're kind of stretching in a cool way, or at least him and Ben Riley are stretching in a cool way that I don't, I don't remember hearing them do the same way. And hopefully someone hears this and they're like, Oh no, you got to check this out. You idiot. And I'll be like, okay, cool. Yeah, I am an idiot. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really neat. Yeah. I mean, um, see, like full, like secret time. Ah, monk. Ah, ah. Like I don't, I don't know. All right, so the the, or I hate listening to records that have, a couple different bands on them. Mm, okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So like immediately there's like a deal breaker. I'm like, why does this this feels different? You mean like things from different sessions? Like yeah. In on the yeah that happened in the fifties all the time. Yeah. Right? Like those those late fifties recordings, especially with Monk's band. Um, so I like I you get a monk record and you like half of it's killing and half of it's like okay, so that's like a huge. Yeah, I got really into the solo monk stuff for yeah. a while. Um, I went through a phase of trying to lift and play it on bass, like how because I mean a bunch of this a bunch of the pianoisms are not really doable on bass because of you know physics which obviously we know i know nothing about um but um to try and like emulate that was a really cool you know really cool thing and like with the solo monk stuff um it's cool because he it like he's playing all of these parts like and they are parts because you hear them come come out in all sorts of different recordings and different uh live and studio things and i just found it easier like for my ears to kind of pick out what was happening in the solo stuff. Mm. Um, and I just, I, I, yeah, I really like the way he, he plays the piano solo personally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's like never, maybe someday I'll get into it. But I mean, I do think again, rhythmically, like I think, from a rhythmic improvisation perspective, like it's, I wish I had gotten into it earlier. Um, just, just again, for like understanding rhythm and how you can use rhythm in a way that kind of like maybe has to do with fewer notes or using the melody, improvising with the melody. Like that's, 
that is something that he just I think did such an amazing job of, of doing and, and exercising restraint because I mean I'm sure he had the physical you know you can hear it in the solo stuff like he's got the dexterity to kind of do whatever but like there's such such a strong concept that it was such a mystery for me for such a young age until I started like really checking it out and being like oh man this would have been great to have checked out if someone had told me like 10 years ago hey check this out and check out the rhythmic stuff like doesn't matter whether he's playing this over that or whatever it's just like rhythmically you can learn a lot from what he took from the melody I, yeah I should I should get into it I don't know I mean and like I think he was one of those guys for me who I just really didn't understand it like for a long time I didn't understand what people really really liked about it and it, it, again that was just because I'm an idiot um, and so I spent a long time with it and I mean I don't know again as a bass player like as a young bass player I wasn't like drawn to it I wasn't like this is what I this is the type of jazz that, that speaks to me right um, whereas like Paul Chambers blew my mind you know uh, like even like Charlie Hayden blew my mind with the Ornette stuff like um, so and I mean some of the some of those monk records I mean I I was saying I love Paul Chambers but like some of those Miles records are not mixed overly well either it's like you can't turn the the volume up loud enough to to hear the bass because the trump is piercing your ears but um, some of the CDs of the monk stuff that I had uh, I, I didn't like I had to turn the volume up so loud to hear the bass that I'm like well like Dunlop is screeching in my ear and I don't like the way he's playing so you know maybe I'm just not going to listen to this but that's the thing about the, that Thelonious Monk trio stuff was that was like really cool because again the however they mixed or mastered the saxophone was not on this track it's right. like it's just trio I mean I think the one I'm thinking of is like Monk Max and Pettiford um, oh Plays plays Duke Ellington. That's what it is. It's Oscar Pettiford and Kenny Clark. That's the record I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one. I think that was kind of my gateway into like, oh yeah, you do really like Monk. You gotta, you gotta go into this. Yeah, and like right at day one of like being in music school, and like being in jazz history class, and like the, the teacher p- pulls up a video of of Monk at a concert, and and they they just like emphasize the fact that he paces around the piano at a concert and I'm like oh okay this isn't for me I remember the straight <laughs> fingers thing there was, there was a movie or something that like some kid emulates playing like Monk and this is like in high school and I just remember being like oh yeah that's, that's not the jazz player that I like this is before I even checked out anything yeah I just like immediately this guy walking around the piano was like alright that's enough I'll uh I'll be uh, see ya well, again, I mean, this and this goes into kind of like a larger conversation, but um, the way that these musicians are portrayed, like Monk was portrayed as crazy before really any musical conversation. At least, I don't know, maybe your experience was different, but like, oh yeah, Monk, he's crazy, you know. Oh, and he wrote more tunes in the standard repertoire than anyone aside from Duke Ellington, hmm. but like, 
No, he's crazy though. Um, it's it's so weird because it was it was he was introduced to me that way, and it was just like introduced to me as a brand of crazy that I didn't agree with. Like because Ornette was also presented to me as crazy off the rails out there. And and I, Ornette and I was like, wasn't presented as mentally unstable. And Monk was. Right? I don't know. Ornette was, Ornette was crazy because he was doing shit, like doing weird stuff. But like Monk got up and walked around a piano in the middle of a solo. He's like, oh yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't think we're allowed to say crazy anymore. No, actually, as I said that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's also, that's also problematic. Um, yeah, crazy, insane, all those. That's not how. If I got like the uh, the publicity of getting canceled would only, would do wonders for my career. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm gonna listen to this album again. Plays Duke Ellington. I like that. I like that one. Um, what Eric Rivas were you into? I'm curious. He's not someone I was really overly familiar with. Oh, one of the on. one of the first things that I ever got into was uh, Branford Marsalis. Mm. That right. band, like seeing that band. Uh, I saw that band play with. Dave Holland at Toronto Jazz Fest and that was cool. like a year maybe a year into me playing and cool. I went to that show and I was like I went home and I took the pickup off my bass and I ordered some Garbos and I was like this is me this is this is my life now oh he was playing Garbos yeah Garbos well, did with you a ask him or you knew I just knew Garbos with a microphone cool and I said this is my life now and that that's just how it's been for most of it but like immediately i was like oh this is cool yeah this sounds cool in contrast to only being essentially only being hip to people playing with pickups right especially the toronto pickup sound which mm-hmm. is like it's fine but it's not has almost nothing to do with me like it's Mm. uh there's no it doesn't doesn't resonate no well it it doesn't resonate but it doesn't resonate (laughs) literally uh yeah totally well that's cool and then i learned Uh, to play bass like i i basically taught myself how to play by watching him on youtube so like that's cool so forever i would i I would stand directly sideways to the bass. A lot of that. But I still do it. I was going to say, you still kind of have a sideways profile when you play. Yeah, and I... Oh, well... Should we, should we get into my bad habits? Is that, is, that the, is that what we're going down? You know what? I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad habit. Um, well, it is when you like start balancing on one leg and you rest your right leg over top of the front of the instrument like you're riding it like a horse i mean until you hurt yourself it's not a bad habit true you know as long as you don't hurt yourself and i've got a lot of injuries <laughs> lots of playing all from injuries. playing the bass yeah um 
my endurance is, is completely gone on the base. It's just disappeared entirely. Uh, it happens. And not playing with a drummer has been really hard. Yep. Um, I just went through this whole thing, or just, but, like, I got, I had those, after, so six months in, the city opened back up and we got to play. Yeah. And the first few shows I was like, I practiced so much in those six months and still got to a couple gigs and was like, all right, this isn't, this isn't going to work. I'm, I'm hoping what actually happens for me is that the bad habits of like, because I think like physically I've been overplaying on the instrument for a long time. And I don't mean like playing too many notes. I do that anyways, but I mean like physically overplaying and I'm hoping that the like now that I've like I messed up my blisters and had the, a session back that like really kind of wrecked my hands um I'm hoping that like I start finding like other ways to play less hard and still to work less hard and get more out of the instrument mm. um because like there's ha certain habits are just gone Right, like certain things I can't do now that I thought, you know, I saw a video the other day. I'm like, I can't play like that now, <laughs> at all. Mm. Like, I, it would take me a long time to get there. But I think, even though I've become a worse, better, worse bass player, I think I'm a better musician now. Like even after the last eight months, just because of, you know, listening to music and and not being in it so much. Um, I don't know that I take solace in that, but I, I think, I think I'm hearing music slower than I was prior to the pandemic. Um, and that's probably, I think, again, this is all perception, but it's probably just from like spending more time listening to music. Um, mm. And that really being the only relationship that I have with music right now. Tell um, me more about experiencing it slower. I think it's more like... when I'm listening to music what's happening is registering quicker so in that way when I'm sitting and listening to it I feel like I'm able to hear the interactions differently um, and again I think it's because my ears aren't aren't listening all the time when I'm like because I'm not playing right so it's like whenever we're playing if you do a session if you do a gig whatever your ears are always on so right now when my ears are on are when i'm teaching and listening to something from an audio like you know from the computer or when i'm actually listening to music and like that's it so the energy that i would usually put into listening on the bandstand i think naturally falls into because those the skills are the same essentially so like it, it kind of falls into listening to music and I think I'm just more conscious and more aware and my ears are less tired. So therefore I'm able to kind of absorb the information or like absorb more information than I maybe usually would. And I don't know, maybe this is very, this is unique to me and everyone else has been doing this for years. Um, but I, in, in that way, it feels like when I hear music, like when I'm actually sitting down and listening to music, I'm able to kind of differentiate between all the parts, similar to like when I first got a record player and like had a, like, spent some money and got a nice setup and like felt like I was hearing some of these albums for the first time um, I feel that way 
um, with some of this stuff. Like, so right now I'm listening to a bunch of Christmas stuff. Like, every year there's, like, a bunch of Christmas LPs that I just, I have and I just, and I just listen to. I love them. So, like, the Nat King Cole one is, like, I really dig. The Frank Sinatra one I dig. The Ella one I dig. Um, there's an Anne Murray one I really like. Uh, and there's a weird Disney Christmas thing that I found for like $2 and it's hilarious. But I've had these LPs for years and this year for the first year, I'm hearing some like inner voices stuff that I'd never really heard before. And I'd been noticing it kind of with other, you know, other records that I thought I knew really well, um, you know, prior to the Christmas season. But like, I can't figure out why I'm hearing this stuff more now. And the only thing that's different is I'm just not playing music. So in doing that, I almost wonder if I'm just kind of hearing more and hearing things kind of at a, at a little bit of a slower... Like, the experience is just slower than it, than it usually feels like. Like, I, yeah, I feel like these songs are just lasting forever. And it's just, like, amazing. It's like I'm picking out all the inner voices just by sitting and listening to it, um, which is not a skill that I had before. And I'm not saying, like, I can sit down and transcribe it. But I just mean like I recognize and picking up things, and I'm like, well, I never knew that was there, and then I go back and listen. I'm like, oh yeah, it's clearly there. How have I never heard this before? We're talking stuff that I've heard like thirty times. So, hmm. but I don't know. Like the only thing that I can connect it to is that like when we're performing, we're using our ears. Like when we're performing acoustic music or live music. Um, because I don't have any experience mixing or mastering or anything. Um, but when we're doing that, we're using our ears in a very particular way. And that's just not a skill that, that I'm using right now. So it doesn't surprise me that like that skill set is coming out when I'm listening to music, because like that's kind of the only way to exercise that right now. And there's also there's more like cognitive space for it as well. So, like, say you're going to go play, like, a, I don't know, two sets somewhere. It's like, the next morning, your ears are, at least for me, my ears are usually a little bit tired. Um, and if I'm lucky enough to have had more than one gig in a week, my ears are definitely tired by the end of the week. Um, so, if there were two gigs, let's say that's four hours of playing music, not to mention there was likely one or two rehearsals, so let's say that's another two hours. So that's like eight hours of conscious using of the ears that, you know, now is like, I don't, I don't do it that way. Hmm. I might be, um, I might be experiencing the opposite. How so? Uh, just like listening, but paying way less attention to detail like a way more passive listening like now I'm just putting music on and doing stuff and and would and just like lying down or reading or, or whatever and I never used to do that before mm -hmm. so I think I'm exercising the opposite muscles that you're exercising by just like well, having a passive noise in the distance and like the thing is though like I like this isn't happening when I'm sitting listening to music this is when I'm doing other things. And that's the thing. Because you, like, the passive listening, usually I would have to listen to a record. Like, if I put on a new record and I was doing something else, 
I'd have to listen to it again. Whereas now, like maybe I'm cooking dinner or like, like I was, Maddie and I were having a conversation eating the other day and I'm like, holy shit, did you just hear what happened in the choir in that arrangement of the holy night? She's like, what are you talking about? Are you a nerd? I'm like, yes, I am. Um, but like I went back and like I dropped the needle back and I'm like, I was doing something else and like this just caught, like my ears just caught it. And, and that's like the thing that stands out to me that it is happening in passive listening when it had never happened before. But I, like, you know I, who Nat King Cole was? Like he's a piano player and a yeah, singer. I believe they he, called uh, him the Big Bopper. He and uh, he and Oscar Peterson had this deal that one of them wasn't going to play piano and the other wasn't going to sing. And you know, <laughs> no, listen, I, listen to the Nat King Cole Christmas album or don't. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, I've never, I've never put on, I've never put on Christmas music once. My mom's a huge Christmas fan, so. There's, you know, I've I've a Christmas shirt on. Yeah. I love I love I love this. I love the. I love all of it. This is gonna uh, be my favorite Christmas ever. This is, yeah right. It may turn into mine too. We'll see. What are you practicing? No, nothing. Spe- well, I'm just trying to shred. I'm very focused on. Uh, just trying to get my electric chops back together. That's cool. They haven't been, they haven't been good for a long time. Man, I, I remember watching some of the, I'm actually quite, I'd be very curious to hear how you practice electric bass. Cause I've seen you playing some stuff that I'm just like, like. Well, I, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I don't even know where I would start if I was going to try and do that. And somehow you always get a really good sound on Instagram, too. But, um, yeah, it's cool. Just the art, some of the, the, the shapes and the articulations, I'm just like, that sounds to me like music. And I know you might even just be messing around in most of them, but like I'm usually just kind of like, well, I should probably just screen record this and learn how to do that myself because that sounds, you know, like more musical than anything that I'm practicing on that instrument. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious. Um, um, like what, like, so how are you develop? like, so you're, you're saying you're working on your electric chops and when your muscle memory is there, it's super fast. But like, how are you, how are you working on that? Uh, or are you just, just trying to play fast? I just play fast, and then, like, whether I'm playing with just a long to a track, or if I'm if I got a metronome on, I play at a at a speed that's too fast and it feels out of control. And then I find something that's like really hard to do, and I just practice it until I can do it. I just just by like stumbling into mistakes and trying to figure them out is and just. Um, hey, have you heard Evan Shea's record? I saw you did a cast with him recently. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like it. I wish I made that record. I don't even know him, but I like that record. It's a good record. Um, it's a lot, lot going on on it too. Yeah, he's got a lot going on.
I feel like I started this whole exchange when I said I liked your dumb bass record. Oh, yeah. Which I did. I really do like your dumb bass record. Wait till you hear the next dumb bass record. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Man, I sent, I sent your record to my dad. So my dad... My dad is not a music head, but he's been playing, like, he's been learning bass. Um, and, you know, he played a little bit of bass before we met, but, like, like very remedial. Um, Wait, what did you just say? Like, he was a very remedial bass player. What did you say before that? Uh, my dad was a bass player before I started playing. I thought you said he was a bass player before you met. Oh, maybe I did say that. Uh, that's not what I meant. Okay. Um, come on, dude. It's, I've been articulate all day. No, right? I, I told I, you this was going to be a I was, Zoom. I was like, okay, this is this could be a whole other spiral that we can go down. Like, <laughs> I was about to be like, when did you meet your dad? No. So before I, what I meant to say was before I started playing the bass, my dad played a little bit of bass. And then I got I got into it and he didn't really play anymore. But in the last year and a half he's two years he started like playing so he plays in a couple like you know like couple groups we got him a u bass nice. so he plays some like ukulele bass with some at least prior to the pandemic um but um like he's uh like he does a bunch of like he starts his day usually by doing some meditating or going on a long walk or whatever and so just in me being like okay i'm gonna try and find like an olive branch to talk to my dad about some stuff that I like because while he's into music, we're definitely not into the same kind of music and like it's a very different experience for him. So anyways, I gave him a Love Supreme. I'm like, yo, you should check this out. This is like, I feel like this is the kind of thing that like I can share some of the backstory with. Like, you know who this person is. You might check out. Anyways, loved the record. And so two weeks ago or last week or whatever, I checked out your record. I was like, dad, you got to check out my friend's solo bass record. This is like, this is really, and anyways, loves it. Just totally <laughs> loves it. He's just like, he's like, and this is a friend of yours? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh man. He's like, yeah, this is so cool. Just like, yeah. It's like right up there with the Coltrane thing. I'm like, Jesus. well, I got to tell him. Like, dude, you made, like on his list of jazz records, there goes my record, which he has to like. Uh, and then it goes to Love Supreme, and then your record. Yours <laughs> might even come up. Like this is this is pretty good. Like, oh, I recorded it on a travel base with my podcast microphones in my parents' bathroom. But there's man, there's so much to it. I just yeah. And you know what the cool. thing is that like the even more hilarious thing to me is like that was me testing the microphones. Yeah. Like I was in the bathroom yeah, yeah. and I was like, I wonder how this sounds. Record and I just started playing. And then you just threw some delay and distortion over. What's the what's the sub stuff that's happening? Uh, like the effects. I don't know if I can I don't know how many secrets I'm okay. Well, I can cut this. My dad loves it. That's crazy. So, that's the go. crazy like it's um it's really interesting. I mean but how many times do you think you and your dad have listened to it? Because I've kind of been sitting around being like, I put this out a year and a half ago, and suddenly I have a weird amount of Bandcamp listens. 
Well, one was me. One cover to cover <laughs> right. was me. Um, anything between my dad and I was within the last week. So. Oh, so it wouldn't have even. So other people are listening to it. Other people are just finding it now, also. I mean, the Bandcamp Friday thing. I know Mac was pushing it a little bit. I think Dan putting out his record. Um, I mean, I was talking to Colin about it recently. Um, Colin. Story. I was telling him you should check it out. <laughs> there was, I was talking to him. He's like, dude, you just told me to check out four solo bass records. I'm like, all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's, it's but, um, like it's... Uh... Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. Like, Dan put out his solo bass records. Maybe people just, like, got a... They got a hankering for some solo bass stuff. Yeah. Weird times. Um, I mean, I can hear the Garbos. Like, you know, like, like I recognize all the sounds. I can even hear, like, some of the production stuff that you did. And I'm like, even without all of it, like, I know some of the process. And I'm still like, there's something. There's something here that is, like not characteristic of a lot of music that I'm checking out. And that's the thing that makes me excited to, to play. So anyways, rant over, but there's, there's something, there's something about it. And, and I don't know what it is, but um, I think Dan's record coming out and other people being aware of the fact that your record exists. Cause I, like, I know Mac and I were talking about it. Chris and I were talking about it and I hadn't checked out your record yet. Like they, they had checked it out. And so who knows? Maybe there's enough people that have been like, oh, yeah, another solo bass record. Oh, I haven't heard Mike's. Maybe I'll go back and listen to it. Um, yeah, even though I know that you said there's not. Like, to me, there's such a concept in that record. But I don't know. That's my perception of it. But that, is, that's, fuck, that, like, that's what I want to do with music. You know, like, it. I want, like, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, I feel that way when, like, like, that's the greatest compliment I can get. Like, especially from another bass player. Like it's, uh, that I like to listen to, especially it's like the, like, what else, what else do I need? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's cool. Whatever you harness there. Like that's, that's the shit that makes me want to play bass more. You know, um, it was, it was dark days. Like, Oh, I know. Yeah. I remember you saying how fucked up shit was. Um, yeah. I often think about that story of when Charlie Hayden and Scott LaFaro were roommates mm. and Charlie came home at one point, Scott's heads in his hands and, and Charlie goes, dude, like, are you okay? What's up? And Scott goes, I'm never going to be able to play the things I'm hearing in my head, which is like, that's crazy to me what that guy did on the bass was like incredible. And if that, if, if he was hearing stuff beyond that, like, you know, that's, that's cool. That's some shit. But I don't know that, I mean, and you know, maybe it's a fairy tale, maybe it's more accentuated than, than it is, but I hear that. And then like, I, I, you know, that to me sounds like someone who's searching for something as well, as opposed to someone who just has everything. Coltrane was searching for shit like quite apparently, hmm. you know, like the music that was made in the 10 years after being in, in trains or in, in miles band, like hell miles was searching for something, you know, maybe he like missed on a couple of things, but like, 
you know, largely hit the mark on a lot. Um, and, I mean, Monk clearly searching for some stuff, you know. Um, I don't know. Was he? I think so. I don't think you can play piano like that and, and not be. But I don't know. I could, yeah. I mean, I could just have it backwards, you know, like. Like, I, I remember a gig you played um, with Eric and them where, like, you're playing, like, way shorter tunes. And you were just, like, I don't know any of these. I don't even know footprints. Like, I think it goes to an F minor at some point. And I just yeah. remember walking home thinking, like, fuck, I would be so stressed out. Like, I would, like, stress to the nine. Like, just, like. Like, oh my God. But like, there's got to be an element of trust that happens with other musicians that are on stage that like, we're going to make music. And that's the place that I felt like I got to with my band right before the shutdown. And like, like. When was your release? Like February? Uh, February 21st. Right. Um, and, and so we did, we did six, we did seven or eight seat release shows. Um, and none of them, I mean the Rex one, but like none of them were really expecting what we were going to do. Like they'd heard my music before they'd heard bands that I played and they knew a bunch of people in the band, but like going into this, you know, God bless Pruden, God bless Allison, God bless Warfel, Nick and Eric. Like all of them just kind of like jumped on board with this idea that like whatever's gonna fucking happen. And and I mean maybe this is it. Like if that's the last music that I ever make in my entire life, I still feel so joyful on the inside because like I believed what they were doing. And I believed that they were you know, that we were just like well, you know, we've got a concept and it's going to be a thing and maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't. But like, who knows? And let's be real, it probably wasn't even that out. Like, you know, like it's, you know, balance and the music's not that weird and whatever. Um, but the show's got some places that I'm sure the people who paid those tickets were not really hoping for. And A, I couldn't care less. Maybe I cared a little bit, but like B, and more importantly, like, like I believed in what they were all doing and that they had each other's back and my back and that we were actually focusing on the music, um, which, and this is sad to say, is not always my experience when I'm playing music. Um, and it doesn't have to get weird. No. Like you can play happy birthday for someone and have that same, that same commitment and, and thing to it. But, like, I think that's the thing that I'm trying to search for in my music. Like, how do you, how do you do that every single time you pick up the bass? You know, um, uh, you just do it. I get it. Yeah, I get it. You just do it. Um, but it's like, and it's not supposed to be a slight, but like searching often is a slight, you know, well, why weren't you, why weren't you ready for this? It's like, well, fuck you. What's ready? Like, sure, you know, yeah. if See, it's someone else's gig and, like, you don't learn the music, yeah, that's problematic. But, like... Yeah, I mean, it maybe, maybe not. It depends on what the gig is. But, like, 
Cecil Bridgewater once told me um, I had him for an ensemble class and he said he told us right, just don't look at the chart like anyone anyone can walk into a room turn the lights on and find what they're looking for mm. mm -hmm. so it was a very like it was a very like all right we're playing hard bop but mm -hmm. don't worry about the changes just figure mm -hmm. it out mm -hmm. and um i think whether it's like a a cop out or something that i'm too tied to but like that is that's my excuse now it's like oh i went to school for this one of my ensemble teachers told me that this was one of the ways that you can play and this is the way that i play now mm -hmm. this is the road that i'm going down i think that like it just like i got so much I mean, New York was good for one thing for me, and it was validation. And now hmm. I'm just like figuring it out. Yeah, I mean, when you're in a city with that many people, like niches exist for you to find. Yeah. Um, and in places where there aren't that many people, um, it's harder to find that niche and feel like you belong. Um, Yeah. That's the other thing. Like, I don't uh, feel like uh, I belong anywhere. I mean, yeah. Like, there's nowhere. Uh, that doesn't. Yeah. I can't play I anywhere. You. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. Cause I mean, I like, I definitely feel that at times as well. I mean, there are times that I feel like i I belong in, in a community. And then there's other times where like, wait, like what, like, where is my allegiance? What do I feel like? What, what community do I feel like I'm a part of? Um, and I imagine there are more people who feel that way than you think. And maybe I wasn't in New York long enough to feel like I didn't belong. Um, but I very early felt like there was something in that city that I felt like I connected to and I belonged to. Um, and I mean, in, on, on one aspect of my life, like, don't get yeah. me wrong. Like I was serving one particular craving when I was there. Um, and I was ignoring probably eight other really important things that are important to me. Right. Um, but it, it did kind of, there was a sense of belonging to a community that I, I, I not saying that I don't feel in Canada, but it's just different. Um, and again, that's not even, like, that's not a negative thing either, but it's, it's a sense of belonging that is, uh, again, challenging to articulate. Um, right. But it's I, like, you know, yeah, I'm just rambling. Um, I was going to say that, like, just going back to what I said about belonging, like on a, on a human level, just like existing in our scene as a human being. Mm -hmm. I certainly feel like I belong. Like this is this. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like this is this is my this is my home scene. This is oh like, yeah, these totally. are the people no. that I want to be around. It's just a matter of like where do I put my music here? Is the, yeah, is sorry. The... Yeah, that that is an important distinction because yeah, I think oh my god, the friends, you know, the yeah, friends like, of the community here is like amazing, and the support of it is absolutely, you know, yeah. These are so obviously my people. Like especially going through this thing of like trying to put a record out during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And how people are just like, yeah, I'll play on it. Mm -hmm. And just mm -hmm. the people who I would sort of think like, really? Yeah, 
you got time for me? I mean, it, sure, it's a pandemic, but like, it's just like a, it's a very nice thing to feel when you are around the people that uh, are willing, to, are just like trying to like also support your music. Like, it's just, uh, Toronto's a good place. We just need a couple more rooms to play oh, in. It's amazing. Yeah, more rooms to play in and... I feel like the city needs to be laid out differently so more people are able to, so that there's, <laughs> it's almost like we need to take downtown and just put Richmond Hill down by the water and then downtown kind of like right by the 401 so that it's easier for people who don't even live right in Toronto to kind of get to, kind of like 40 minutes outside, 50 minutes outside. Yeah, and people also got to stop moving to Hamilton because that's a maybe that Maybe that'll problem. be cool. Who knows? I don't know. Tough no, man, I, I do love the city, but it's, it's interesting how, um, that's interesting. The, the musically feeling like you don't belong. Um, I think another one of those, the thing about New York is you can go out and see whatever you want, whenever you want in uh, whatever you used to be able to, I don't know. Well, sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, even pre pandemic, I felt like, when I went in December, man. I mean, I'm speaking to five years ago now, which is crazy to me. But I went um, in December, and I went to one show. And I was there for about a week. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, yeah. like, Corzo's gone. I tried to go I, to a show at the Stone. It was sold out. And then I... Stone is still there? Well, the Stone is... It's oh, in, it's in New York or whatever, right? Yeah. I don't know. Like, like I definitely went there in December, and I was like, "Oh, I made a good choice." Mm. Oh my god, I yeah. I love I love being yeah. here. I'm so confident, but I, I I do feel that you know there's something I, I miss. And again, I keep saying it's hard to articulate, but like it's hard to articulate specifically what I miss. And I think actually what I miss is, is the people that I was making music with. Um. Because yeah. I feel like there were some people that I really connected with, um, you know, um, and that's not to say you can't connect, but when I came back here, I kind of needed to like close the door on that chapter for a little while. And now I'm kind of ready to kind of start getting involved with those people again. And it was amazing to reconnect with them when I went back down in like two Septembers ago in 2019. Um, but Is that's that kind of, when did we meet? What year was we that? met in 2016? Okay. Right. Uh, at Bar Next Door. I mean, I, I remember it for sure. I just don't remember when it, I didn't remember when it was. Yeah, it was, uh, would have been March 2016. And Curtis, Curtis was playing. And oh, it might have been August 2016. It was cold out. Okay, so March. Um, Curtis and probably Luke. That's the show that I sat in at, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. The problem with Hamilton is that it, I lived there for two years, ruined my life. And then now that I'm seeing everyone move there, there's nowhere to play. Mm -hmm. And I just, I need that thing I need to be able to go out 
and see, I need the option of going out to see music every night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's yeah. all I need. I need yeah. to, I need to go be able to go out any night and see music and I need to watch every Jets game. That's the only, those are my needs. Yeah. So Hamilton is a tough sell, but who knows? Maybe post COVID some cool spots will, open up or yeah something. i think i think we're we're still a long ways away from uh anything reliable really happening um might come across as like self-deprecating which i don't totally intend it to be because i've i've essentially fine-tuned my life to be exactly how i want it to be i just would like mm -hmm. to have more of a you know i'd like to be able to play a jazz festival now and again or like book a gig mm -hmm. somewhere but like totally this has essentially been my life for the last 10 years like a lot of people are starting to like get a taste of what it's like to be in my shoes yeah sure totally i see what you're saying yeah and i think it's gonna it's a great test for like okay how much do you like this and i'm not acute there's like i'm not even close to accusing you of this because i just can tell like the way that you speak about music and and the way that you play and every like you're not one of these people so i don't want to like get you caught caught in the crossfire here but like a lot of people are really getting disappointed with this whole situation and i mean <laughs> sure so am i but hearing people talk about how their careers are over is like and they're gonna they're trying to figure out what to do next is kind of like well what were you doing? You chose this? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like a very confusing, like, how did you have all of these values and you still somehow ended up down this road? It's like a very interesting. Yeah. It's very yeah. interesting to me to mm -hmm. watch people sort of have like a bit of a, a bit of a crisis. Like, okay, what am I actually doing here? Yeah. Um, and my bond with the music has just been getting stronger and stronger throughout this whole. Well, and this is, this thing. is the thing I think. And again, this comes back to what I'm talking about, like the passive listening and then hearing shit you've never heard before. I actually think my relationship with music itself, like though my relationship with the bass may not be as great as I want it to be. Like, I think the relationship with music is because again, that stuff is gone because like I was one of those people who like could play a festival and I look at my calendar and like most of the money that I make was like from random jobbing that I did, which wasn't even that much. And I'd come home from a jobber and I'd complain to Maddie for four hours. And like, I'd be, I'd be saying like, oh, like, so jobbing is going to make me hate my life so much that I don't want to talk about music, but like, I still, it's important to me to be a professional musician and to be making money. Um, it's like, sure. Don't get me wrong. Like the pandemic is hard, but like, teaching these kids has been a lot more gratifying like from an emotional standpoint and and i have way more room to emotionally experience music or not experience it if that's what i want to do as well hmm. um but i definitely think like um i think the way that i've aligned myself musically at least from an early age was much closer to what you're talking about as being almost like a tangible, attainable goal. Um, then 
just an experience for me as a young musician. I think it's been a long progression of like 15 years where it's like gradually moving further away from like, oh yeah, you make a living doing music. Good for you. And more to like, you know what, this is, this is what I do and this is what's going to make me happy. Um, because I believe in it, because I believe in the music and whatever else I need to do, I'm going to do. Um, so yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And like, I think I do kind of feel that I fit into, I think I'm moving from one place to another, but I do think that like, and not necessarily because of the pandemic, but like, I think the way that I understood music as someone who like did well in all levels of school, like did well, you know, um, that the gratifying part for a long time was like doing what was right and making the cut and making the changes and all mm. that kind of stuff. When the focus, you know, is now getting to the point where I'm like, Oh wait, no, I actually really do care about this music. And I really care about, um, I care about the music, even if I'm not playing it. Right. Um, and that's a beautiful place to be. albeit challenging to experience when, you know, you're now in the situation you're in, but you're right. It's like, if you can love music like this before the world shut down, it's like, yeah, welcome to the party. Because I do think a lot of people are not aware of this is what it's like for most musicians. Um, but also like, yeah, it's just kind of exciting. Again, music is exciting. Mm. That's whatever the version of that is, you know? Yeah. Um, I um, I think I'm pretty lucky that I learned all of these things like immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also don't want to like, like I just learned like right away that I'm not a first call guy. Mm. Um, but I was taught that like, It was in, like, I, and I don't want to sound that, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, when I learned that, I gave up on it mm-hmm. because I'm still focused on the day that, like, eventually I'm going to crush everyone, get out of my way, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. might be the first call guy when I'm 60, but mm-hmm. it's going to fucking happen. Um, and I don't want to also slight people that, so, like, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I'm not looking down on people who are doing that with their, like, isn't it crazy though, that we have to even acknowledge that like, yeah, one day I'll be the first call guy. What do you mean? Like, so like you just said, like at age 60, you know, but isn't it crazy that like, there's a value attached to that? Uh, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Like, I just want the, uh, the value is that I just want to play all the time. Mm. Right. I couldn't care less about my stature in the right in the right. community. Like yeah, so teasing those two apart. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but so I guess my point is like I could be had I've spent more time on things like you just the things that you just mentioned, like doing all the right things, going through school. Um, had I've spent more time with that, I might be. Um, a lot happier with the state of things like if I was getting a couple more if I had a couple more connections through like a professor at school and I got a couple more calls 
Mm-hmm. Who knows how much more I would love this whole thing, or like it, it could be just like a nice, mm-hmm. a nice mm-hmm. break in the in the monotony of kind of grinding it out, so to speak. So who knows what the answer actually is? I guess it's like a balance of everything, but. Well, and I mean, I, I think as an adult for, for us, it's like, you know, I mean, a, a teacher said this to me at one point, he's like, you know, what do you want to do on a Sunday afternoon? You know, if you could do anything in the world, what do you want to do on a Sunday afternoon? And from like the conversation that he and I were having is like, I was trying to figure out whether we can go to school for bass, clarinet or phys ed. And I'm like, I think I kind of just want to play bass. It's like, all right, there's your answer. We'll figure out a way to do that. Don't worry about the other stuff in between. And it's very, like, I definitely lose sight of that every single day kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I quite enjoy, last time we saw each other, we were talking about how like that Bud Powell lift and that one classical thing. And I was just, fuck, that's the happiest I'd been in weeks. You know, Which I was one? just playing bass by myself. Yeah. I was, I was working on that Bud Powell whale lift on yeah. electric bass, saying that I was trying to lighten my, my touch. But like, I don't know, I was, I was just trying to learn that solo. Because, you know, to me, it made sense to learn it. And then I was like, well, why am I learning something that was made 60 years ago? I'm going to listen to Mike's record. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, um, I'm going to make the Christmas album, whatever. So, uh, yeah. I hear what you're saying. It's um, it's a weird world to navigate, but that's a really interesting point that like a lot of people are kind of experiencing this for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, getting it. I mean, experiencing it in a different way and learning this whole, learning this early on in my career, uh, mm-hmm. it was like okay, I was at school. I was like at this point the program that I was in was like not not super happening in a sense that like I was one of two bass players who played upright bass. So I showed up and like immediately I've been playing bass for a year and immediately people were like, oh, come play with us because it was just mm-hmm. like a novelty to have another upright bass player around mm-hmm. sort of. And then I got into, so then the next year, uh, Victor Vrankrill shows up and everyone forgets about me. There's and, the, it's, the place isn't big enough. And it's for, the, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Interesting. See, that and, happened to me in second year and, and it, it devastated me. I mean, it wasn't Victor. Someone else showed up. <laughs> um, but like, it's just interesting how like, you know, it impacts you and, and causes you to react in a different way. Um, cause I was like, I like, I'm going to get better. You know, I want, I want to be that guy. I want to be that first call guy. Who was your Victor? A guy named Brendan McElroy. He's a developer for YouTube now. Like it was such a bizarro thing. Like I was playing with, this would have been my second year playing the bass in general, not mm-hmm. upright, just second year as a bass player. And I was playing with faculty. Not gigs, but like I would session with faculty mm-hmm. just because I was like the only guy with a bass. Mm-hmm. And then it all disappeared. 
And you liked that or you didn't like that? I think in the moment it took me a second. I mean, definitely in the moment I hated it, but about a year or two later, I figured out. Well, and what did you like about it or what do you like about that? Well, I just learned to cope. Mm. Like immediately. And so your your reaction wasn't to try to be better than Victor it was to what? Um, trying to figure out what you wanted to do like what you actually wanted to do yeah it just taught me to navigate hmm. I think. Must, must be nice yeah I mean that's, that's maybe the